0: It is good to be together, and it is good to worship. It is good to be together as a family, an extended family of faith. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, Thanks for just kind of doing your part of uh, staying with our protocols and making this a safe gathering. Uh, And for those of you who are watching at home, welcome. I'm so glad to have you too. Just so you know, you are counted in our numbers on our gatherings together, because for those of you who don't know, We have a church with a cover charge, and we think that uh, generosity is an important thing, and so we try and just, for all the heads that we have in worship tonight, we set aside a dollar just to be able to leverage for the good, and over this year, we've given out over $6,000 just to meeting needs, whether those be temporary housing, uh, employment, uh, grocery needs, automobile needs, and so... Thank you for being here uh, because it makes a difference in seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city in which we live. Well, I want to start out tonight by asking you a question, and the question is, and I imagine that this year you've had a lot of time on your hands to think about deep things, but the question is, if you were a superhero, what would you want your superpower to be? Now, come on. This has been a year like no other. I'm not sure what you thought I was going to ask you, but... After you finish asking, what would I do if I won the lottery, that's pretty much the next question that everyone should try and have an answer for in their lives. And so my question is, what's your superpower? I mean, we could go with the one that says, you know, I want to fly. But come on, you've had a lot of time this year to think about this one. Do you have any other answers? I'll give you a few suggestions. What about time travel? If your—I don't know what the name for this superhero would be—but time travel was your superpower. Maybe it was like Captain Do Over or something like that. But or, or you know whatever Wonder Investor, just so you could get the investment properties right. But uh, maybe you might think, oh, I want to have my superpower is the metabolism of a twenty-year-old for all my days, and that would just be a beautiful, wonderful thing, so says the guy in middle age. Or maybe you would say, oh, I know, I wanna have just the gift of patience so that I can actually be um, a self-respecting parent, or or whatever the case might be. Maybe you would say, I don't know, Um, there's a lot of good options. I would take my superpower as immunity from my own OCD or insecurities. options for a superpower, but maybe there's one that you haven't considered, but we all really want. We've tasted it at times, but it seems a little fleeting, and that is the superpower of joy. Is that not something that you crave, that you long for, that maybe you even try certain things to create the kind of emotion that just makes you feel better about life? But at the same time, does it not sort of feel like the normal people in the world don't get to experience the same joy? It's like reserved for people like, like elite athletes and, and genius minds. But it, it just feels just out of reach. We, we want it. We long for it. We get taste of it. But it seems like it's always just out of reach. Joy as a superpower. Here's the thing. When we start to talk about Advent, it can help us access a kind of joy that is actually within reach. So Advent that is a season. Advent is not so much a celebration. We celebrate Christmas, but Advent is more of a reflection. It's not just an event. It's a season in which we are invited to do a kind of spiritual inventory of our hearts and our minds. It's to calculate the things that, are there things in my life as I consider the hope that I have in Christ, uh, as I consider Christ arriving in this world, are there things in my life that I need to turn from? Or are there things in my life that I might need to turn toward? But in either case, we're trying to develop a growing awareness of the presence of God in our life. And we ultimately should always be asking the question, with each step, with each day, is there something in my life that's cooling my love for God? Like that relationship that just has a wedge that's just pushing you further apart. Is there something like that? Because that actually becomes a joy inhibitor. Now, Advent is also this beautiful thing that symbolizes Christ's arrival in the world. And so we have four ways in which traditionally Advent gets symbolized. It's first symbolized through the arrival, and Advent means arrival. Not just 2,000 years ago, mind you. We get these kind of fourfold picture of Christ's arrival. And so Advent helps us celebrate that. And as we reflect on God's arriving first as the Messiah. The long-awaited, centuries-in-the-making Messiah coming in the form of a vulnerable, innocent, infant son of God. That's why we have Christmas. Secondly, we we see that Christ's death. Now, how is death an arrival? Well, it's the arrival of the sacrifice that separates me from God. And because Christ arrived at death, that's what we have in Easter, that I'm no longer separated or or labeled in this category, but I'm accepted by God. Thirdly, we have this, this picture of when Christ returns, and it's the restoration of all things. It's restoring the world as God intended. It's what we would call the second coming of Christ. Some of you have heard talk about the rapture, or when God, my point is this, if you have a struggle, uh, if, if you lose sleep, if you get disgusted with systemic racism, greed, corruption, um, we have a greater hope that when christ returns it's going to be as the world of god intended and then fourthly and this is, cannot be missed is the fourth thing that we're celebrating or, or acknowledging one of the ways christ arrives in the world is when christ arrives in individual believers hearts see it's It's one thing to grow up around the church. It's one thing to grow up familiar with the notion of God and believe in eternity. But it's something completely different, more personal, and I would argue supposed to be more intimate when we invite Christ into our hearts and create a dialogue. It's like coming to the altar and willing to exchange vows saying, I do to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or pledging our allegiance so that we can be one in Christ and be dual citizens, citizens of heaven and on earth. And that's really what Advent helps us do. So as the, uh, as Josh and Sonia helped set up tonight, the third week of Advent is traditionally celebrated as the week of joy. This theme of joy that I want to be in to kind of explore together tonight a little bit more in the scriptural passage But it's also known as the shepherd's candle. When the angels arrived and made this beautiful declaration about Christ arriving into the world as the long-awaited Messiah. And so if you have your Bibles, just open with me to Luke chapter 2. This is a familiar passage, especially around the time of Christmas, but I want to draw out a couple of things because I think that there's some joyful things that we need to walk away out of here so we can have maybe just a little bit more spring in our step. And so it says this, Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 15, and there were shepherds living out living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the lord appeared to him the glory of the lord shone around them in other words imagine someone just flipping on the lights because someone arrived i mean sometimes you have a personality that you're kind of in a dead room like people not having too much fun and someone walks in because they've got all this charisma okay this is just a modicum of, of what i was describing this is like an angel showed up, and the light shone around him. They're in darkness. There's no electricity. There's no street lights, There might be a campfire, but an angel, and it was bright as day, right? I mean, there is a warmth and a brightness to it. So now that we have the picture uh, around this fireside chat that they have, um, and it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, like you would be, like you and I would be, like normal, Uh, But the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news uh, that will cause great joy for all people. Okay. That statement is loaded, and we're going to revisit it in a second. But today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, I mean, this is an original flash mob choir busting out. And he said, glory, glory to God in the high." And and on heaven, peace to those in whom uh, uh, God's, uh, praising God, uh, excuse me, his favor rests. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I don't know if that sparks anything. Maybe the familiarity of that kind of is, is feels a little bit kind of muted in your hearts. But let me just draw out a couple of things. The first thing is, when we have shepherds, what we have really is anyone could be a shepherd. A shepherd was sort of the lowest person on the socioeconomic social scale. Anyone could be a shepherd. It required no skill. If you were willing to be alone, if you were willing to make sure they get fed and get protected from any wild, you could do it and, and go out. It, it, it sort of reminds me of maybe what we have today is the guy who stands on the street corner with the spinning sign and he's pointing you to the, like, the nearest mattress store. I mean, anyone can do that job. It's not rocket science. You don't need advanced degrees. And so there's this lowliness that the God of the universe reaches out and goes, I want to pick that group of influencers. I mean, they had no followership. How is the message supposed to get out? Except we also know that there's these wise men, these learned men, these affluent men, these magi that are also coming from the east. And so there's this beautiful picture unfolding about who God reveals himself to. And so the picture is, is that God in no way, shape, or form shows partiality. And that friends, is a source of joy. God comes and whatever things we create in our lives to make us, prop us up to feel better, more confident, more funny or or whatever gets flattened out in the economy of God and he shows no partiality because you could not pick two people groups further apart. And God chooses to have a personal conversation with both people groups about the revelation that brings me great joy for all the things that are dividing us in our world for all of the distinctions whether it be red or blue liberal conservative whatever it might be God brings together there is room in the in the kingdom of God for this kind of redemption story verse 11 goes into talking about a savior A savior being born. Now, central to what it meant to be a Hebrew, to be the people of God, is the Exodus story. They defined their identity around God's deliverance. 400 years of captivity, being in Egypt as slaves, being beaten, getting work, and the screws just tightened on them. God delivers them. Interesting side note. It was this idea, the original Holocaust, where boys two years and younger were thrown into the sea. That's where we get Moses going into Pharaoh's household. Isn't it interesting that in their deliverance, God does a baptism of all the people. He parts the Red Sea, and he lets the people of God get through, and then he closes the sea, almost because he's saying, I'll take care of the injustices. I will right the wrongs. Oh, I see what Pharaoh's doing. I'm not out of control. I'm keeping accounts. And then this other kind of baptism. But the kind of baptism that we have in Christ is bringing new life. And the people of God, these Hebrews, would have been defined by the Exodus experience. So when they hear the idea of a Savior, their immediate thought would was egypt back then putting their thumb down and and now it's rome just crushing us and now we get deliverance oh that's news for great joy That gives me pause for celebration. That gives me confidence that the God of the universe is not letting this world just spin off its axis, that there will be a reckoning. This is the people of God knowing how God operates throughout all of history, even if he disappoints us in this one circumstance. Verse 15 goes on to say this. He says, let's go, let's go. Now, let me ask you this question. What is the end game of joy? Because we all want it. We're all in search of it. We might give ourselves to other things and get lesser forms of it. But we have to ask, what is the end game? What's the point of joy? To which I might suggest to you the reason that God authors joy is that it would lead us back to him. And so when it says, let's go, they have had this revelation. They have had this beautiful picture that's being painted. And the first thing is, let's go and do what it said. My hope would be when you experience joy even in the smallest way it might move you to compassion it might move you to confidence it might move you to cherish to celebrate to serve to give but joy is the thing that causes us to draw near to god because what we do is we recognize god is the source and he supplies my every need so why couldn't i be a part of his salvation on earth he says let's go and see what the angels have said And so the result of joy is always action and joy becomes renewing. Listen again to the messenger. I bring you good news of great joy for all people today. For today has a savior has been born. It's pretty good, right? You know that the reason we know joy is simply because we know heartache. You can't really have one without the other. Now, we like to avoid heartache and just pursue joy. But the reason we're sensitive to it is because we've experienced the pain, the loss, the struggle. And so joy is something that we cherish. Joy is something that we long for. Um, But the reality is, is when we start to go through this, they're so closely connected. Sometimes we are lured into pessimism. We're lured into skepticism, We're lured into apathy and doubt. I'm not saying any one of those categories is wrong. But can I warn you? Those are the things that can actually distance us ourselves, even even in some ways resist the joy of the Lord. Show me a skeptic who has joy, and I'll show you like a rainbow unicorn. I, I just don't think those things coexist together and so as you measure your doubts your fears your your skepticism maybe even your apathy your burnout i would try and temper that because you don't want to play the distance game when it comes to the joy of the lord so let me just do this <clears throat> and you might want to jot this down i know there's room on, uh, on the outline in the app i want to just lay a foundation Of joy, Now, this is something that I kind of co-opted. It was a list about happiness, but I thought it was rather intriguing, and I was thinking about it in light of joy is, and I'm not going to go into the distinctions between joy and happiness, but it was written by this guy, Arthur Brooks, from the American Enterprise Institute, but I sort of adapted uh, his list because it it just laid a really good... Because who doesn't want joy? Well, let me give you some next steps, some things to think through. The first one is faith. If we're going to lay a foundation to have increasing levels of joy, we have to answer the question about faith. Specifically, answering the question, do we have a framework in our mind between how to reconcile the the sort of, or make sense of death and suffering? I think that comes from knowing Christ. And at the same time, have joy in the present operate with some hopefulness even though there's a sort of tension, there's some unresolved things in your life, things yet to be healed. I believe you start when you answer the question about who Christ is and and begin with a larger picture of eternity, not just my 90 some odd years on earth. Second question is related to family. Now, this needs to be kind of couched into maybe you're single and living with roommates. Maybe you're living away from home and whatever the case, but you can apply it how you'd like. But do you have a home life of mutual affection where the good of others is as important as your own happiness? If you want to have a growing foundation or base level to experience God's joy, it starts with faith, but I think closely connected to that is our family construct, the way we experience our home and living environments. And is home about g- making sure that I'm happy or is it mutually beneficial? Super important. If you're a sibling today battling it out with you know, wanting to live with a friend or a foe, just think about that. Just think about that a little bit today. Thirdly, community. Do you have at least two real friends? Friends who are willing to share in your joys as, what, as much as they feel in your struggle. If we're going to experience increasing levels of joy, I think it comes with the inner circle of our life, the people that are emotionally and spiritually healthiest to us in closer proximity. But here's the caveat. If we seek that, we also should try and be that. Not conditionally, but but being that because we believe that's who God is. And then fourthly, and this is my, where it hits home, work, whatever your day job, whether you're retired, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a student, consider this. When you begin your work week on Monday morning, the question that we should consider is when you leave home, do you believe that there are people who will genuinely benefit from the work you do? And part of that isn't, is it fun, or am I well compensated, is more about, does what I do matter? Is it a deposit, an investment in others? Because you become the very expression of Christ to make sure people's lives are being blessed. You want to grow in joy? Try just starting with those four foundational pillars so that we can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I want to share with you a closing story. Um, and I read this uh years ago, but I've just kind of tucked it away. And it's a story of a taxi cab driver who was had this p- kind of random passenger, and we've all been in taxi cabs or Uber d- driving, but I don't know if you've ever known a cab driver. Similarly to shepherds, anyone could be a cab driver, as long as you have a driver's license. And so <clears throat> I had a friend who was a cab driver in San Francisco, he was about 10 years older than me and the reason he drove a cab we had grown up in church together but he had spent he he was a convicted felon he was a safe cracker if you must know he actually learned a trade of being a real thief and cracked safes and <clears throat> had this amazing testimony about returning what he had stolen but people reported him that's how he's been tied and we used to have these great fellowship nights where we'd just play cards and eat pizza and it was, it was great fun and he says it's really interesting when you're a cab driver because you're driving around and all you're trying to do is get people in your car and then the minute you get them in your car you're trying to figure out how fast of a direction you can go just to get them out and you're not looking to really make small talk you're just trying to fill your car and keep busy the whole night long and he would work all night long So I got this really vivid picture of what it was like to be a cab driver. And so when I read this story, it resonated with me. Now, I don't know this cab driver, but I know the life of a cab driver a little bit. And if you've Ubered, you've kind of been introduced to that, too. Listen to what this guy said. He says, one time, I had to pick up a passenger in the middle of the night. And when I arrived at the address, the building was dark, except for a light on the ground floor window. Well, many drivers would just wait and honk and wait for a couple minutes and drive away and... He said, I thought, passengers might need a little assistance. And so therefore, I always went to the door and I knocked. That was kind of my thing that I did. And so I did the same thing. And I heard a weak voice of an elderly woman saying, just a minute. And the door opened. And I saw a small lady in her 80s wearing a dress and a little pillbox hat. And she had a small suitcase in her hands. So I took the lady's suitcase and I helped walk her to the cab. Oh, thank you for your kindness. Oh, it's nothing, he said. I just try and treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. Oh, you're a very decent person, she said. And when, he, when we got into the cab, she told me the address and asked, could you drive through downtown? I told her, well, it's not the shortest way. I know, but there's no rush as I'm on my way to a hospice. I have no family left. And he looks in his rear-view mirror and he can see kind of this glassy-eyed stare into her eyes. An elderly woman on her way to hospice where she's not going to be checking out and wants to take the scenic route through downtown. And I'm like, You talk about a divine appointment. You talk about a moment that God has ordained. This is an ordinary day of work. What's your ordinary day of work where you stumble across a place that you get to be the presence and maybe even the joy of Christ? After two, uh, it says, I quietly switched off the meter and asked, uh, what route would she would like me to take? And she says, well, While we drove through the city, the old lady showed me places that were important to her. The building where she worked as an elevator operator or the house where where she and her husband lived just after they were married. The warehouse where there used to be a ballroom years ago that she went dancing there when she was a young girl. After two hours of driving around, she, she, she finally said, okay, I'm tired, we can go now. As soon as we arrived at the house or at the address that she gave me, two orderlies came out in the cab. They rolled out a wheelchair. They seemed to be waiting for her. I took the lady's suitcase where she was seated in the wheelchair. And tell me, now how much do I owe you, she asked. I said, oh, you owe me nothing, ma'am. But you have to make a living. There are other passengers. I replied and I gave her a hug. She held on tightly. Thank you, thank you. When I was walking to the cab, I heard the door shut. I thought to myself that it sounded like the closing. Without any purpose, lost in my thoughts about this old lady. What if she had gotten an angrier an indifferent driver who was impatient to his end his shift? It seems to me that this drive was the most important thing I've done in my whole life. See, we always look, you and I, for these great moments. We always look for these sort of grandiose moments where we can make a difference and we want to make a big splash and we want a lot of ROI on whatever sacrifice or whatever volunteering or whatever giving we do. But sometimes great moments just catch us unaware. Sometimes they're beautifully wrapped in what might be considered nothing in particular. Sometimes they might be wrapped like an infant son in rags in a feeding trough with hay as a mattress. I bring you good news of great joy that tonight a Savior has been born for you. We have a chance in the ordinariness of life, in the everyday, regardless of our day job, to be the joy of Christ, but in, in, in being that, we get to experience the joy.